Can they move off of it or no? That's it. Like one, you get one chance. Acorn barnacles. Eight mile. Acorn barnacles. No, it's like one shot. Yes, slow. You are listening to the Dude Nature Podcast. Everyone, welcome to the Dude Nature Podcast. I almost forgot the name. I'm here in the reactor. Welcome home, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with my brother, Adam. Adam. Holy shit. Yeah. Holy shit, monkey. <laughs> it didn't work like I expected. All right. Yeah. Take two. Take, take. No, this is a good take. All right, we're rolling. We're fucking rolling. Yeah, go ahead. Hey, Adam, we got a very nice review. Tell the people about it. We got a fantastic review. Thank you very much. DB808, who said, both of y'all are the best. You know what? It's a very Yank- nice review. Thank you. Yankties. Thank you DB808. so much. Yankties, Yankties. Thank you, DB808. Thank you very Thank- much for the nice review. We love the reviews, guys. If you have listened to the podcast more than once and you really, really like the show, or you know what? If you don't and you have a gripe, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps the podcast. And if you don't like the podcast, everyone will be able to see your gripe, which is even better. And Noah's got something in his mouth. Absolutely. For some reason, I took a bite of my bar during podcast during, recording. During critical time? Yeah, during like literally trying to speak. Noah, tell us, about, out of here. tell us about our uh, Builder bars loving, are kind of nasty, huh? Our loving, sweet, caring partners. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, at the podcast, we are sponsored by Four Sigmatic Coffee. Whatever coffee you're drinking, Pete's, Starbucks, Folgers, Instant Coffee, whatever you drink, it would be better if it was Four Sigmatic. Dude, you'd have longer focus. You'd have less of a countdown. I love it. Adam, do you like it? More sex. More sex. Everything. Harder nipples. You guys know the drill. Go to forcingmatic.com. Use offer code DUDENATURE. That is DUDENATURE, all one word. No exclamation mark to get 10% off. You're forcingmatic. And it's good fucking shit. Adam, great. If you use the code for forcingmatic, oh. DUDENATURE, and you leave us a five-star review on iTunes. A what, unicorn is born. What happens is that a, a unicorn, unicorn is, is born, born and you slowly ascend to heaven. You and ascend you do, to heaven no more and mortal, a unicorn is born. These troubles, these mortal coils, the trouble of the mortal coil, no longer your problems. Okay? You're now a god. Okay? And you look down upon us. What do you, you will give us, give us better mushroom coffee. What are your gripes? Noah, these are the gripes where we gripe to each other for 30 seconds each about something mildly irritating. Okay, so my gripe today is I really don't like it when you go to someone's house and yeah. you go to use their bathroom and there are two brushes near the sink. Yeah. Okay. Like the like the the head of the brush. Yeah. The head of the brush is facing the sink because you might have two yeah. hands or or even doo doo hands. No, I. And you go agree. to wash your hands and it's right next to that person's toothbrush. Actually, having the brushes out if your sink is too close to the toilet is kind of gross. Now I think about it. So you you need to put yeah. So a lot of people put the brushes in the cup. Just put the cup away from the sink where people's gross hands are because you're gonna be putting the toothbrush in your mouth obviously not it's not a good look yeah no because if doo-doo hands go up there but also i'm actually thinking if someone if you have a guest over and you've opened toothbrushes and they drop a bomb okay then it's just kind of gross to have your toothbrushes in there yeah it's fairly disgusting that's why you really gotta designate a guest bathroom but that never works out do you know what i mean they always go to the bathroom with their toothbrushes by the guest bathroom what? What do you mean by the guest bathroom? Like, if you, you need a, a bathroom is for guests and a bathroom is for the people living in the house. No, I see. I see. I didn't get to go in gripes. 
No. Get away with your gripe. Here's my gripe. Okay. Recently, in the past three weeks ago, I had a great. I was I was running fine, hearing fine, everything was great. Let me tell you guys what happened in the, in the last like two weeks. Okay. I basically broke my knee. I I can't run. I can't hear out of my right ear, and I broke. I literally broke my laptop. That was all within a week. So my gripe is that for some reason, to see a physical therapist in the United States, you need to get a referral from a doctor for no reason. So I called the physical therapist, and they're like, "Oh, like we can't see you unless you have a referral." So I have to go pay to see a to see a doctor for the only purpose to get a referral to go to a physical therapist. Um, and then my other gripe is just the healthcare system. In the U.S. right now, which is just, it's just so confusing. I can't even figure it out. It's I, so my, hard to fucking figure out. Like, I would where argue am I supposed that, to go? I would argue that's not petty enough to be a gripe. It's a real problem. Therefore, not a gripe. And I would argue that I have a gripe. I have a gripe with your gripe. Your gripe on my gripe. And you playing the music before I got to gripe. There we go. We're even. La 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 Everyone dance. Dance, everybody. Da, 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 da. Dance here. Noah. Yeah. Let us play a game. Okay. Okay. We're going to play a game called Inner Title or Subtitle. All right. Inner Title is the area of the ocean that is closest to the shore. Intertidal. Yeah, so you have the shore and then you have the intertidal zone where obviously the tides affect the landscape and where the rocks are covered in water. So this environment might be covered in water at one point and it might be covered in just air. And that's the intertidal zone. That's the intertidal zone. And then we have the subtidal zone, which is the area just... A little bit deeper than the inner title, where you'd find something like kelp, kelp forest, basically. But does the does the subtitle ever? So like, does, does the subtitle ever go completely not underwater? So you know when the tide goes out and there's no more water in that area. I'm just, I'm assuming oh, yeah, the subtitle yeah. always has water. Subtitle always has some water in it. This is great because this will help me explain something later. So yeah, subtitle good. always has some water in it. Okay, there you go. Okay, so I'm gonna name the animal and you tell me which zone it is in. Okay, excellent. Grizzly bear. Intertidal. Neither. Grizzly <laughs> bears are in Alaska. Starf- None of the above. Starfish. SATs. Starfish. Starfish intertidal. Starfish is intertidal, yes. Dungeness crab. Intertidal. Dungeness crab is subtitle. They do not go in into the, the intertidal areas zone. that never go completely out of water. Yeah, they don't go into tide pools. Dungeness crabs. Oh. Eels. Subtitle. Yes, subtitle, like kelp force. They're a little bit deeper, I guess. Sea otter. Subtitle. Why do you say that? Because they're always floating they're floating on their backs. Yeah, they're floating their, on stuff. their backs in the in the kelp forest, right? Okay, you're right. Subtitle. Um a dog winkle. A dog winkle. Dog winkle. I feel like that's like a mud skipper in her title, mud skipper. You got it. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a mud Sounds a like dog a mud winkle. Skipper. Salmon. Subtitle. Yep, and muscle. I think you got almost all of these. Intertidal. Yep, muscle is also intertidal. Boom. Okay, Noah. Yes. What is our topic today? Our topic is tides and tide pools, par usual. We an absolutely packed episode. I don't know how we're going to fit it in. We're going to start with biggest tidal switches in the world. So the areas where the tide goes in and out the farthest or highest. 
then tidal power plants, then halftime honey, and then we're going to end with tide pool wildlife, true or false. Adam. Yes. Begins that don't suck. You have 60 seconds. Tells us everything we need to know to enjoy the episode. Are you ready? Absolutely. Three, two, one. Begin. No, whenever we took strange family vacations on our mom's birthday to Monterey, which we did. Never Right? Every day on mom's birthday. Love you, mom. Okay. Love you, mom. Always a lot of arguments in the car. Mm -hmm. Um, We would always hit up the tide pools and poke our fingers into the sticky green anemones and ride back up the coast in anger and stickiness and sweat from being together in a small car. And and wet. And we were just wet. And also wet. wet. Every single year on mom's birthday. Tide pools are fascinating and amazing worlds of invertebrates. Toughing it out in harsh conditions, Noah, with amazing adaptations to stand these crazy environments. So today we talk about one of my favorite things. I know it's one of your favorite things too, which is tide pools. And I absolutely love tide pools. They're so damn, they're so fucking cool because you can experience marine life, wildlife, without actually scuba diving or snorkeling. It's super accessible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can just walk around and it's awesome. And poke around in there. So there's a real joy in tide pooling if you haven't done it yet. Our theme, <laughs> there was like a, a Bedouin. Yeah, there, there was a Bedouin yeah, yelling there was, behind there it. was a Bedouin inside of our sound effect. The theme for this episode is invisible forces, Adam. Ooh. Invisible forces acting around us. Invisible forces. Okay, first section. Biggest tidal switches in the world. First off, let's go into tidal range. Okay, what is tidal range? We kind of touched on it a little bit. Tidal, tidal range is the height difference between the highest tide and the lowest tide. And that's basically how... Tides are measured, okay? So when we t- Adam talked earlier about the intertidal and the subtidal zones, we are t- tidal range is just measured in the subtidal zone. Okay? Tidal range? So basically, when you're on a beach, right, and you see the tide go out, okay, okay, when scientists measure like how powerful that tide is or how how much water is going up and down, they only measure it in the subtidal zone. Okay, and this is probably going to get confusing because if they measure in the inner, if they measure it in the zone that goes out, right, where there's no more water, it'd be like negative. So they go, they go right to. Oh, right, because the water goes beneath the rocks. Yeah. So therefore, what would you, what would you measure? Exactly. So you just take the point, you take like the the point that doesn't lose water, the subtitle. Right. So the kelp forest area. Yeah. So when you're when you're measuring tidal strength. That's what they measure, the up and down of the subtitle zone. Mm-hmm. So This reminds me of Subnautica. Sick game. So Subnautica. Sick game. I couldn't play because I got sick too game scared of the monsters. Where if you go deeper, there's scarier monsters right. the deeper and you go. Right, and that's when I stopped. What area did, did you get to the subtitle before you got too scared? With the kelp forest with the I, sharks? I stopped playing the game when I went. This, by the way, I guess this is a game where you're like a submarine explorer and you can go deep. Mm-hmm. I stopped playing the game when I heard a monster screaming in the background. And I got scared. I don't like horror movies. So I get, when I get scared, I leave. That's what I do. Scared, I leave. Let me touch on a normal tidal range before I tell you the biggest tidal range in the world. A normal tidal range on the coast is usually three feet. So it goes up and down. The water in the subtitle zone goes up and down three feet between low and high tide. Okay? The biggest tidal switch in the world, Adam. Do you know where this is? Oh, the biggest... Uh, the biggest delta of tides. Yeah, right? basically the biggest, biggest, biggest delta biggest of tides. That's confusing because now people are thinking about a delta. Delta squad. The biggest change from low to high. The biggest change or from high low to high. high. Exactly. Where would it be in the world? Where, let me, let me think. It'd be like, I'm trying to figure out like where is the moon closest to this place? 
I don't I don't know if that makes any sense. It's I mean, got it does, but it's not the right. Is it by it's got to be by the equator, right? Somewhere by the equator? Maybe India? It is not. Oh, the world's okay. greatest guesser takes a hit. <laughs> it takes an absolute hit. On the coastline of the Bay of Fundy. Sorry Canadian listeners. Okay, don't leave the podcast. The I know I pronounced it wrong. Fundy? On the Bay of Fundy in in New Brunswick, Canada. In Northern Djibouti. In New Brunswick, Canada, Adam, the Bay of Fundy, it is the place with the highest tidal switches in the world. The tide, the tides there, they can change by as much as 52 feet between Whoa. low and high tides. Holy Again, shit. the average is three feet. Here, they change 52 feet. It's insane. That's so nuts. you can like, there's tons of before and after pictures of like all these, all these rocks where the tide goes completely out. So the, the rocks are, these rock pyramids are above just dirt and the tide comes in and you're basically brought all the way up to like almost the top of the rocks. It's absolutely insane. There's a harbor there. Where when the tide goes out, the boats are on the ground. Really? <laughs> and then and then when the tide comes in, they raise they boats rise up like twenty or thirty feet. Wow! It's so fucking wild. It's absolutely wild shit. Um, these tides at the Bay of Fundy they change every six hours. So in six hours around you, if you were to stand there, as like there's tours that do it, in six hours the water level around you would rise fifty two feet. If you were just in the subtitle zone. In a kayak. So if you were in the zone that never completely goes out of water, you would essentially rise 52 feet in the air in six hours. That's how much up and down goes on with the tide. Fuck yeah. What is going on there? Hey, Jillian Anderson. Yeah, Jillian Anderson. Babe. Oh, yeah. You mean Scully? Yeah, from the X-Files. <clears throat> Absolute Underrated. stone cold also, babe. Also, she's aged, aged incredibly. Was it the suits? Was it the, the X-Files suits? The, the loose suits? Those suits are not. So this is before they had a women's cut suit. It looks like a man's cut suit on Scully. Yeah, it does. When she's in the it's field. It's not a great look for her. No. No, it, it's not. Adam, it's not. Yeah, it's the blazer. It's too big. 52 feet of water. Yeah. Okay. That is the rise and fall in the Bay of Fundy. 162 billion tons of water rises and falls in six hours. Okay, so obviously that's a huge number. And it's like, what do we do with a huge number? So a couple of other ways to visualize this is, again, if you were, let's talk about just height. So just the height of 162 billion tons of water in the bay. Mm -hmm. If you were out on a kayak in the subtitle zone, yeah. okay, you would go up the height of a four-story building. So if you look out your window now, you see a four-story building or count to four floors. That's how high you would go up and down in six hours. Okay. Okay. The weight of all this water is the weight of 32 billion elephants. <clears throat> I wonder if this affects how long the intertidal zone is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like how much water is uncovered in distance, in like a length, diameter. Like how much tide pull zone they would have would it be bigger oh how much that so that's a really good point and it, it would definitely have to do with how how steep is the the bank oh yeah right so it would have to do with other things too okay but that would be interesting too like where's the area with the biggest length? yeah I'm, I'm thinking like do they have the sickest tide pulling in the world i mean i mean like there's a ton of length there's a ton of length here when you look at photos of it the length is crazy but it's really the just the amount the amount of water that goes in and out is the biggest in the world here okay so i'd be interested in length too yeah. um the quant is the quantity of 162 billion tons of water just mm -hmm. so you can think about what moves in and out of the bay of fundy every six hours the change of this water is equal to all the waters in all the rivers in the world going into in and out of this bay. 
162 billion tons oh, of water. Uh, all the water and all the rivers in the world. All the water. Including the all, Amazon? Yes. Including the Amazon. Yes, including the Amazon. All the water and all the rivers in the world goes in and out of this bay. Where is the hours. Bay of Fun? Like, where is it for us for us Americanos? Yes, absolutely. Where the hell is it? Um, It is on the east. It's on the east coast of Canada. Quebec? Is that, like south, is that Quebec? It's like, it's like south. No, it's, again, I said New Brunswick earlier. I know. Oh, I think New... No, just Quebec is the eastern province, right? With Montreal. All our Canadian I'm so sorry. are about I'm, to leave. I'm so sorry, right? You, Quebec, uh, eastern about province with Montreal... In not Ottawa, okay, French-speaking Canada, Montreal, okay, and then there's a little island sort of off to the right called New Brunswick. And I'm just thinking of my mental image of Canada. Now let's say something nice about Canada. Canada. Hey, Canada. Here's the thing about you. Let me, let me say something. Whenever I, whenever I have to use the healthcare system in the U.S., I just wish I was in Canada. Right. I wish I didn't have to deal with this madness. Yeah. Like what, whatever this thing has become here. Look, Canada, what do you do well? Healthcare, maple syrup. Hockey. That's it. That's a good. That's a good three. That's a great three. You should be proud of yourself. And nature. The nature. Nature. Is great nature. And really nice people. Great people. Great people. Couldn't say enough about the people. Couldn't say enough. Adam, say something bad about Canada. Can you? I won't do it. Can't do it. How does this occur? What? Okay. So while I'm going into how do like the how do how does 162 billion tons of water move in in and out of this bay? Okay. Pray tell. So now we've gone into. Right, how powerful it is, how crazy it is that all this water goes in and out. This is how it happens. We're gonna start at the very beginning. You're gonna have to follow me here. We're gonna start with solar objects that are pulling our tides. Yep, the moon, Adam, as you know, listeners, as you know, it has a pull on our tides, but also, I didn't know this for researching because I'm an idiot, the sun also does too, obviously. I don't know why I wouldn't think of that. So the sun and the moon, they both pull our tides. The sun usually is pulling in one direction, and the moon is pulling in another. Ah, so then you get things okay. like neap tide and super tide, right? Yes. So think, like think about two forces: sun pulling, moon pulling. And the moon is a stronger force. The moon, yes. very good. The moon is the moon is is a stronger force. It's closer. Sorry. Much closer. Stronger force because it is closer. If the sun was as close as the moon, I read somewhere that it would it would pull our tides thirty seven million times more. What would happen? <laughs> so we're just what would be, happen? We're just being a just a bad just a just a tide pull. Would like the, the, bad, the entire ocean shift to cover the continent? Just shifting all we'd, the time. We'd be living in a tide pull zone. Like literally, Portland would be a tide pull city. Yeah, it would just be shifting all the time on a full moon. Imagine the sea anemones. Huge sea anemones going to work every day as a sea anemone. With them going to work, we'd all be sea anemones. We'd be a race of sea anemones. Yeah, we would be like a race of sea anemone that was clinging to a rock. Right. On a full moon, when the moon and sun are perfectly aligned, so like if you drew a diagram, you had Earth on the far left, right. then the moon in the middle, then the sun on the far right. Okay, they're yeah. all aligned on the full moon. Both pull in the same direction. Oh, nice. Yeah. Moon, okay. sun, yeah. They're both pulling in that same direction, and that's why on a full moon, it causes the highest amount of tidal change because both of the forces are going in the same direction. Got it. Got so it. What is that? What is that called when they go in the same direction and they create a tide? What's that tide called? Spring tide. It's called the spring tide. The reason it's called the spring tide is not because of the. It's a very stupid name because it's like very confusing. Why is it called spring tide? It's called spring tide as in springing, not spring the season as in spring. Like I'm gonna spring. Spring. I'm gonna spring. Springing, jumping. The thing that we can't do is we have no knees. Okay. Okay. Um. So in summation, a full moon. 
Yeah. Full, full poon. Full, full poon. moon equals a high tidal range, right? A high difference between the low tide and the high tide. Yep. A quarter or small moon equals a low tidal change because the moon and sun are pulling in opposite directions. So if you have a very small moon, usually it and the sun, they're going to pull in opposite directions and there's going to have very small tidal change. I feel like you're building us up our understanding for something massive. Is that right? I am. Are you building us up to I something that's I, big? I, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm. I'm gonna foreshadow it here. Do you want the air horns when the when you drop the big thing? I'm gonna foreshadow it here. Yep. We're we're gonna go into the formation of the week and the weekend. I understand that this is a tides and tidal episode, but I couldn't stop myself. Are you not? Are you not interested about how the week work week formed? Why do we it have has a seven to do, day it week? It has to do with the tides. Yeah, I mean, it comes from uh, originally comes from that. I'll walk you through it. Okay. Let's ahead. talk about supermoons for a second. Yeah. The perigree atom. Peregrine, Falcon. The perigree. Perigree. Is the closest point of the moon's orbit to Earth. The perigree. So, the moon rotates around the Earth. So I've heard. The closest point to it every year, yep. when it gets the closest to it, is called the perigree. The peregrine. Okay. When a full moon occurs near this point. Full poon. Which means that you're al- the moon is aligned with you. When, when you're aligned and it's really close... It creates a super moon, which is a big ass moon. And people take pictures of Instagram with them doing a stupid pose in front of it. They take pictures of Instagram. <laughs> of the on, moon. On the moon. Mm-hmm. Before you go any farther, do you want to say anything about full moon parties? I do want to say something about full moon party. Okay. When I was a young man in college, I went to full, what is called full moon do party. Was, do you remember I was, can you tell, I was transferring you money to go party? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go to, I, I, went, I went to full moon in Thailand. There's a full moon party. Which is basically just like the white people get together. The white people get together and party on the beach and, and have a debauch and have a debauch at full moon. Yeah, um, it was wild, and I was so poor because I was in Thailand. I was so poor that I had to write Adam to transfer me money all the time. And I was like, poor I, teacher. I was a like, poor teacher. This a hundred dollars in in Thailand. I'm gonna have more fun than you than would you have. Fun. Would ever that you would ever imagine the hundred dollars that you transfer me will be used for way more fun than you could ever use. Right. The white boy party fund. Right. The white boy party fund. The nonprofit, otherwise known as the nonprofit for you know for white boys to party. Yeah. That's what I was. Four hundred one c nonprofit. Four hundred one c nonprofit. White boys partying at full moon party. I was the head of it. Adam transferred me the money, and we had a great time. And that's full moon party in Thailand. Good. So anyway, super moon, it pulls the shit out of the tides, creating huge tidal ranges. Nice. Super moon. Yeah. Okay. So that's, Adam, how the solar bodies pull the water. But what makes the Bay of Fundy special? Ooh, yeah. So why does, like, the Bay of Fundy, why are the tides, why are the tides so crazy there? For one, one point, it's in a northern latitude. So if you look at the continents... And once I read this, I like I was like, oh yeah, like I've always seen that. If you look at a globe of the Earth, most of the landmass is up in the northern latitudes. So if you go up in northern latitudes, you'll see that the percentage of ocean to land is less. Like we have much more land up there in northern latitudes. Okay, think about Canada. Think about Europe. Right. What do you about? Think about I'm trying Asia. to think about what exactly you mean. But northern latitudes, I mean, just like on a globe, north. Yeah, so north up we, on a globe, we have more. If the average, we have more land. If you were like land and ocean in a bag, and you had you grabbed one of them, you would be more likely to grab land. Yeah, in a northern latitude. Okay. So if and think about like if you go down south, oh, it gets skinny. Like yeah, if you tips. go down south, like like to Chile, like the point of Chile, Chile and Chile, Chile and Argentina, there's just in the south, there's just tons of ocean. 
Right. It's like the Horn of South America and the Horn of Africa. Right, exactly. There's just tons of ocean down there, and there's tons of land up north. Yeah, I okay? got that. So what that does is it comp- it like compresses the oceans. It compresses the oceans, and it makes the oceans essentially slosh around more because they're compressed. So this sloshing, like imagine that you have a pan, like a brownie pan, yeah, and you're just sloshing water back and forth because it's more compressed. That's going to cause tides to go in and out more. So northern latitudes, they have higher tidal range. Monkey, do you understand, monkey? Like if you have a smaller pan. In the north, you have a smaller pan. Is nope. that the metaphor? Nope. Nope. So, so <laughs> you have the same amount of pan for north and south. So what changes? See, for mm. me, it's the metaphor is you have the same amount of water mm. north and south, but the pan is smaller. Right? Yeah. I'm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let me try again. Take yeah, two ahead. on the metaphor. Take two. Okay. In the north, I'm gonna. I, I like what you said. In in the north, you have a you're you're shaking side to side the same for both. Yep. In the north, you have a smaller pan. Okay, so the sloshing back and forth is greater. In the south, you have a much bigger pan. You're still shaking side to side the same force. The sloshing is going to be less. Right. Same. Yeah. Same amount of water in both. Yeah. That, that, I think that's what I was getting at. Okay. Um. So. It's in northern latitude, so there's more sloshing. Secondly, the Bay of Fundy, if you look at it, it's shaped like a bathtub. There's oh. basically it's like a long tube. There's it's like a it's like a long it's it's like a test tube. Is it? That's perfect. Whoa. It literally looks like a test tube with one mouth and just land on three sides. Oh, okay. So sense? it's like it's like a bathtub, but one side is open. It's a, exactly. God, you're doing good. It's a bathtub. Like an infinity pool. It's like an infinity pool if the if the pool was actually if connected to the ocean. It's an infinity pool if the if the pool was really long. Yeah, you you should stop in the bathtub. King of metaphors, king, <laughs> metaphor king, metaphor king, metaphor king. Um, so bathtub that's open on one side. Imagine the water bouncing off one side of the tub. What happens in this bathtub is that it creates what's called called resonance, and it's mm. basically when water bounces off one side of the tub, it makes water bounce off the other side faster. So if you if you took a tub and you shook it around, mm-hmm. I'm making a shaking motion with my hands like back and forth. Okay, yeah. Okay, kind of like a like a not a shake weight, but like horizontally. Yeah. If you took that and you shook the tub, the water that hit one side of the tub, it would rebound and hit that other side of the tub harder. Okay. Does that make sense? No. Uh, it goes up one side and then yeah, sure, it has more force Basically, to go to the other side because sure. it's shaped like a bathtub. It bounces off one side, that makes it bounce gotcha, off the other side. Gotcha. It bounce, 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 bounce. bounce. bounce it's called that bouncing is called resonance, and it creates a higher tidal range. Okay. So, in summation, the Bay of Fundy is in northern latitude with a compressed ocean, and it is in a bathtub-shaped bay, which causes bouncing, and that's why it has a hot, the highest tidal range. Well, um. How does the Bay of Fundy and the bouncing of the bathtub have to do with the days of the week? I'm so glad you asked. Yeah. Okay. So when when I was researching solar cycles, yep, I went down a huge rabbit hole. Okay. We're going to talk about, since solar cycles are the basis of the creation of dating, like they're the basis of the creation of the month, then the, then the week, then the work week. I'm going to talk about how did we even, like, do you ever think about like, how did we get to a month? How did we get to a week? Why are there seven days in a week? Uh, because the Christian calendar made it so. No. No. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna explain. Yeah, tell me. Tell me the history of, of, the, okay. of the calendar. So first of all, first of all, we're gonna start with the month. All right. Everyone knows the year, right? 
The year is the Earth rotating around. Did the Hashem? Sun. Did Hashem make the month? Hashem made the month. The 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 year is the is Earth rotating around the Sun. Yep. Okay, how many days it takes? Now we're gonna go to the to the month. Okay, the okay, month. The moon's orbit around Earth. Adam, do you know how many days it is? Uh, twenty-eight. Very good. It is is twenty-nine and a half. Damn it. Okay. okay. And yes, as you can tell now, that is where the month comes from. So that is basically the. So, so is that the average days in a month? Twenty-nine. Can't be. It's gotta be like thirty. I actually think the the like so there's always like plus or minus one. There's okay. always a little bit of chicanery. There's some chicanery. There's some yeah. chicanery at the end. I actually think the average is twenty seven moon or moons around the earth. Yeah. But okay. I mean you get it, it's right by the month. Okay. Okay, got it. Yeah. So So the month is the moon cycle. Month is the moon cycle. One moon, one moon orbit around the earth. Adam, the week. Yeah. Do you know where the week started? Like why do we have Seven days. Seven days in a week. Oh, why do we generally have four of them in a month? Is is it because it's two? Is it two moon cycles? Because it's like waxing and waning, right? Is it waxing, which is coming into full view in seven days, and then waning in seven days? So then you have a fourteen day cycle. That is that is pretty close. That's my guess. That's pretty close, but you're just you're just wrong on the time frame, but you're yeah, right yeah. in the in the method. Okay, so is it 14 days actually to wax and then 14 to wane, basically? Yeah, that's it. Pretty that's much. That's it. So yeah, so the week started with the ancient Babylonians are the ones who made the week. Oh, cool. They want so they wanted to divide the month into four moon parts. So they wanted to take that full orbit and divide it into four. Okay, so so so, so what they did is they they the month start sorry. The first week starts with the new moon. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Which is what well, a new moon is. You can't see a moon. Yeah. In the you sky. can like barely see it. Right. Yeah. Then the next week starts with the half moon. So it's half full. So when you half see a moon. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then the third week is the full moon. Okay. And then the, the fourth week, the last week is a, the waning waning, which means going down, mm-hmm. right? Is the half moon going down. And then the next month starts with that new moon again. So it takes 29 and a half days to go back to a new moon. So basically, so we'll get to the full moon in the middle of the month. Is that what what the thought was? Yeah, that's what the, that's what the thought. So the the thought was just take this orbit, right? Take this 29 and a half day orbit. Yeah. Okay? Break that into four parts. And okay, I see. So each week is a half moon step. Exactly. So that's good. Each week is a half moon step. Waxing you go from not seeing it to seeing half of it in a week. Yep. And then the next week you see a full moon. And then the next week, we're going back, we're waning, you see a half moon, mm-hmm. and then the last week, at the end of the last week, you don't see the moon again. So we've come full moon cycle. Yeah. It's basically the 29 and a half, half days of orbit. It's the four cycles of that. So are we like, four parts are, of that. are we synced up with that cycle now or we're just not? That's, that's, that's just where it came from. That's where, that's where it came from. Okay. I mean, that's why, that's why the weeks are seven days. Got it. Because the average... Are we in sync though? Are we... Are we and sync, you know, good, like good, JT, good, good, JT good, NSYNC. good, 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 good. Okay, that's why we have seven days in a week. Joey Pepitoni, oh my also god, also in sync. Oh my god, die. That makes sense, though, right? Yeah, that makes sense. So now that we're done with that, okay, do you know? Do you have any idea how the work week and weekend model was created? It's something to do with the planets. No. Okay, he's shaking his head. In the USA, yeah. So every country kind of has a little bit of a different story. For it. Isn't it the Industrial Revolution just made the weekend at some point? So before 1908. Yeah. 1908 is like right after the Industrial Revolution. 
Okay. okay, people at this time are just working in factories. Five-year-olds go into ass. the coal mines. There, oh, there are pictures of children working. Yep. It is insane. Mm-hmm. They're climbing into, like, gear. If you've seen um, Snowpiercer, the movie, yeah. it's just, like, children working inside machines. City doesn't change so much. Yeah, city doesn't change. In 1908, right after the Industrial Revolution, there was no work week weekend thing. People working in terrible conditions all the time. Um, in a mill in New England... Yeah. A la- started to allow a two-day weekend on Friday and Saturday. And it's so that it's Jewish staff that oh. were working. Oh, it was the Jews. It was the Jews. So it was it was the Jewish complaining. It was the Jewish complaining about the Jewish weekend? Complaining. It was made that, it better for everyone. It, it was so that the Jewish staff could observe Shabbat on Friday and Saturday. Was it a Jewish? It must have been a Jewish mill. So the first time, at least Clearly. in the U.S., again, every country kind of has a little bit of a different story for it. But at least in the U.S. in 1908, it started because in a New England mill, the Jewish staff probably complained so much that they then gave them two days off on Friday and Saturday. I'm just Ju- trying to think, like, what Jewish people would have been here at 1908? Yeah, no, I, di- I couldn't believe this. Is that crazy? That is crazy. So that is how the first, that's how, like, the first one started. Okay, so they wanted the weekend off. In, the Jewish staff wanted, they wanted Friday and Saturday for Shabbat. Shabbos. For so Shabbos. it was Hashem. It's basically all Hashem. Okay. This is what he did. Well, yeah. in 1926... So this one factory did it, this one mill did it, and then like a couple of other mills did it, but it wasn't like a big thing. Right. Okay. In 1926, another other than Henry Ford, the legendary car maker in the United States. Didn't like Jews. Did he not like Jews? No. Really? Why? I don't know. Not a fan of the Jews. Remember, we went through this in the episode. You know who else is not a fan of Jews? Who? Uh, Walt Disney. Yeah. The, well, people know about that one. Look. I don't, do yeah. people know about that one? I think so. He hated the Jew. Didn't like Jews. Um... Henry Ford, he made Saturdays and Sundays off for his workers, and he limited work to 40 hours a week. So at the time, at this time, it was a pretty altruistic move because people were working seven days a week, 12 hours a day in the factories, and actually him limiting limiting it to 40 hours a week and giving them Saturdays and Sundays off was like a nice thing at that time, even though it doesn't even seem that nice. And we still have, we have not made improvements since then. Yeah. I have more to say about that. Yeah. In, in, this in is basically second. where we're stuck right now. This, and, and literally in 1926, Henry Ford, the last, some, this is the last update, the last, the last update, great update, last, up, the last great update week. to the work week was in 1926 by Henry Ford, right after the industrial revolution, where you set it at 40 hours and get him Saturday and Sunday off. Um, one of the reasons he did this though, you know, he was a sly dude. He, he was knew, a sly dog. He knew that with more leisure time, his workers would have more time to spend their money on his products, continuing to drive, you know, his revenue, put them right back into work. Oh, oh, okay. When I say altruistic, it's It'd like more time off to spend I mean, their you know, money on his cars. You know, this dude is, he's a legendary businessman. That's not how they operate. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not how they work. Um, in nine, who knows what that's from? That's what they said. That's what they said in the factory when uh, it was announced that work week was taking place. Absolutely. The work weekend. In 1932, Adam. They ate Robin's minstrels. The USA officially adopted the five-day work week. Again, it's a little bit different for, for your country. 1950? Country 1932, the U.S. officially adopted five-day work week. And that was the last update. The last, up, the last update to the work week ever was in 1932, about the, 100 years what ago. What do they mean it's officially adopted? Like, what does that mean? It's a really good. That's a really good question. It, like, a, it's a labor law to you have to have a weekend. The forty hour. It's like so. Here's the crazy thing. Mm-hmm. In 1928, famed economist John Maynard Keynes, he predicted in 1928, he predicted that with advances in technology by the year 2028, so basically now, 
we, we would be at a 14 hour work week because we would have basically solved all the issues of labor. Oh yeah. So actually the crazy thing is we have gone in the opposite direction and now my girlfriend works remotely. She's working like a 50, 60 hour week. They won't let her stop working. It's insane. Mm-hmm. So he predicted 1928 that we'd be at a 14 hour work week. Now we are at, we are working more than ever. Yeah. So, so what happened there? I have fill no idea. It's crazy. Fill, fill in the gap for us. We're going to have to do a whole episode I, on, on labor. This is a whole, it's a whole, this is a whole, whole shenanigan. It's a whole thing. It's like we, no, it's just fucking crazy. Like technology is advanced, but we keep working all the time. We keep thinking that we need a 40 hour work. Week we keep thinking get, we need a 40 hour work society week. Running. I also went, yeah, I went down a rabbit hole. There's been a lot of studies that show that a four hour work week is more effective. A four, one, two, three, four. I'm sorry, a four-day work week. Oh, right. Yeah, four-day work week. Yeah, so a four-day work week is more effective. It's actually been done at some companies. Basecamp, mm-hmm. company Basecamp did it for a while. How did it go at Basecamp? Good, really good. Yeah. Uh, they got all their work done in four days. He said that, the CEO said that the reason it's so good is because you cut out all the stuff you don't need. You just focus on the stuff you do need. Right, just no meetings. And then people are happier because and- they have three fucking days off. Have you experienced a three-day weekend? It is a vast improvement on a four-day. It is a because vast the thing is- improvement. <clears throat> But the thing is, if you think of it percentage-wise, <clears throat> you're upping your weekend. You're up. You get one extra day where you have another day off in the future. And like you know how Sunday, I get work stress. A lot of people get work stress on Sunday. Absolutely. Where like Sunday evening, it's basically like your your body gets in that tight tight work body. Like I have to go to work. If you Two get days that, is not enough. If you get that one extra day, you're actually increasing the amount of days, real rest days, where you have a day off in the future by. 200% or 50% think about how depending on how you look at it you yeah. get one you no. only have one of those days now you get two of those days it is a humongous difference i, I it's a humongous so difference cool. i would feel like if we could do the four four day work week you would you be more interested in I would be more going interested. back into the labor force so instead like, of being okay, a dirty so dirty before, amazon seller before this podcast i was like because i'm going to see a physical therapist i was like oh like being a physical therapist would be really cool. I was like, that's cool. You know, a cool job for you physical therapists you're, out there. I'm a cool guy. You're a cool guy. You're, you're a people, cool guy. Help and you're looking for, cool guys looking for a cool job. Exactly. And, but then, but then we were like, I want to be a physical therapist. But then it was like, no, but I don't want to work. I don't want to work five days a week, nine to five. Right. I just don't want to be on that schedule. And, and, and it's awesome. Everyone out there that's on that schedule. It's totally cool. I just personally... It's just brutal. It's brutal to work five days of the week and only have two days off. Right. It's absolutely brutal. It is. But like four and three, I think we're starting start to get down. I with think that. we're starting down with that. We're starting to make progress on this with the remote work, the explosion of remote work. I think that we're not. A lot of us are not going to go back into the office. A lot of people have seen that you get to spend more time with the things that you like doing if you're a remote worker. You know. But and maybe you don't need those 40 hours. It's true. It's true. But what I what I have seen too is that with the remote work, the work is nonstop. They just like – Yeah, people, people at, will just fill your day up My fiance has meetings until like 7.30 every day. Well, it's so, absolutely absurd. Some people find, are finding it really hard to adjust. Like they don't know – they don't feel like they're doing work unless they're in a meeting is what I have realized. Right. They are scheduling a meeting. But how long is it going to take for that to stop? Well, and that's another issue. It's like there's a lot of – there's a lot of pseudo work is what I call it. There's tons of pseudo work and very little actual work being done at these companies. Right. I find. But, and that's again Performative why- Performative work. If we cut it down to a four day work week, okay. you would have to fit your shit in those four days. Yeah. 
I like it. I totally agree. Okay. Anyway, again, just real quick. In 1965, there was another Senate subcommittee that looked at work. They predicted that Americans would work a 14-hour work week actually by 2000, the year 2000, because of technology. Oh, shit. And again, they were, again, completely wrong. So we, we keep predicting that we are, going to, we are going to be working less hours, and we are, com- we are heading in the complete opposite direction for some reason. You think that remote work will eventually lower the amount of, amount of hours we work per week? Mm-hmm. It's good. Um, I, hope, I, I, think that, really- I don't think that, but I think that we're, chip, we're chipping away at the uh, – it's not Catholic. What is it? It starts with a P. Puritan Pur- – Protestant? Protestant work ethic that set up these terribly long work weeks. I think that with remote work, we're starting to make some progress, I feel. And, you know, millennials have less tolerance for this just in general than boomers do. Because that's that- what they grew up with. We we are like, I want to go like travel around Thailand or something. Yeah. That's like more of a millennial concept than right. what they are doing. Our identity, I wanna, you're saying I our delay, identity is different than the work. I will delay like having a family until I am fulfilled. Like that's a millennial concept, right? It's all about me. It's more about you, me, right? Than the the collective, right? And so, therefore, to get what you want, you have to do less work or slack off a little bit. Yeah. And I think that that is why we're starting to make some progress with the labor, because I think it's that millennials our identity isn't tied to work as much. It is not is tied to it work. It is not much. tied to work as much as. Boomer. It's definitely not tied to a company like Boomers are. No, because we fucking know. Because we know they don't. We they know don't what the truth is. They don't you. give a shit. It. Yeah. Shit. And let me about just. You. Let me say. I just feel it's just such bullshit. I just it's just five. I gotta work five days of the week and I have two days off. Look, it's bullshit. I totally agree. We have to move on. But we should definitely. Okay, I'm sorry. This. We'll move on, but yeah. we should we should touch back. Um, I'm gonna touch on. I'm just gonna just real quick touch on tidal power plants. Yeah. Okay. Because there are power plants out there that use this tidal energy to gener to generate electricity. Um, the oldest tidal power plant is is the Lawrence Tidal Power Station in Brittany, France. Okay. There, it's it generates enough power to power like a mid-sized city of two hundred thousand people. So that's. Tell me if I'm two hundred thousand people. Two hundred thousand people. So yeah. I, Size of Baghdad? Is that what Baghdad size is? Size of Kabul? Size of the Yankees. Size of the Yankees? Size of the Yankees. It's it's a, it's really cool. The t- the um, power plant, it can just rest under... So, like, you know, like, a highway that goes across a yeah, the highway, estuary or stuff? The highway the, to the danger zone? Yeah, the highway to the danger zone. The power plant just goes right underneath that highway. Okay. So, it's really unobtrusive. It's cool. Um, that's the oldest one. It was built in 1966. Hmm. So, one of the cool things about this kind of power is that it's very... You can just keep going. That's amazing. Yeah. Why is that? Why is that not? Why is that alternative energy tidal power plants not on anyone's kind of radar? It is really not on the radar. It is in its infancy. Can you explain that? Oh, it's in its infancy. The U.S. Do you know how many tidal power stations the U.S. has? I don't know. None. We have one? zero. Yeah. Well, who has one? So, this is the oldest one. The biggest one is the Siwa Lake tidal power station. It is in, in South Korea. Cool. It's built by the South Korean government. South Korea. Not just water gun festivals. Not just water gun festivals. Also, great alternative power. They're like light years ahead with environmental stuff. South Korea is? South Korea is. Yeah, nice. They're like breaking the mold. So, because the, the government, the South Korean government, they built this station. It's managed by them. They built it. They rock, built it. On rock and roll. Okay, I'm done. That was a stupid joke. Keep going. A lot of jokes coming from I'm you sorry. today. Yeah. How many do you think you have landed? But I'm not getting the attention I need on this podcast. It, so this power station, it yeah. generates enough electricity to power a city of over 500,000 people. Jesus. Yeah, it's fucking cool. So 
That's really cool. What so a, why are why do we up? not have it? Basically, yeah. if you're not in one of the remember I talked about the northern latitudes having higher tile ranges. Yeah. If you're not in one of those northern latitudes, it's not gonna be worth it. It's not gonna be worth it. I got you. And but again, this is in its infancy. Is it as environmentally detrimental as a dam in a river? Because it's so it's so new, we don't have tons of information, but what it does seem like is that it does obviously affect the water body that it's built in front of. So when people say like so like nuclear power, right? Nuclear power ha- generates waste. It does generate waste. Generates the spent fuel rods, right? Yeah, it, it generates spent uranium, which right. becomes a different isotope of uranium, which is garbage. We can't use. Right. Yeah. So this power station too, it like it does affect the environment negatively behind it. Okay. So again, in its infancy. Um, in summation, Adam. Holy moly! In summation of all that I just said. The biggest tile range in the world is the Bay of Fundy in Canada. The water rises and falls 52 feet there, or all the rivers in the world rising and falling. Time. The year is the Earth's Earth and around sun orbit. The month is the moon around Earth orbit. The week is the four parts of the moon cycle. The day is the full Earth, Earth spinning rotation, right? And the work week was Henry Ford, at least in the United States. Perfect. And then tidal plants, their yeah. new energy source, old one in cool. France, and a new big-ass one in South Korea. Very cool. Halftime, honey. Everybody get all that? Everyone get all that? Write that shit down. Okay. We are going to take the a quick later. break, and after the break, it is going to be time for the halftime, honey. some jokes landed on this podcast you know what i mean all right no it is time for the halftime honey this is the halftime honey toast where we discuss and celebrate some absurd science in the news that is somehow related to our episode I find the story, I know respond to this immediate thoughts. Okay? So I'm going to raise my glass. My glass? Is this my glass? Or is this your glass? That's yours. Shots of Jack Daniels at 12 this o'clock on Thursday. This is mine. All right. Talk about the work week. I'm going to raise this to Yaku. And Yaku, who is Yaku? Yaku is the oldest otter in the Chicago Aquarium who turned 21 three days ago. Yeah, I'll tell you a little bit more about Yaku. Yaku? Yaku. The oldest otter. The oldest sea, the oldest sea otter. Kelp forest otter. This is to you, Yaku. Yaku, 21. Oldest otter. 21? 21-year-old otter. He still looks good. Jillian, still looks good. Jillian Anderson of otters. Jillian Anderson of otters. 12 o'clock Thursday <laughs> show. Daddy, a 12 o'clock ah. shot of Jack Daniels. When are we going to Henry take- Ford. Talk about Henry Ford. How much Jack Daniels was Henry Ford just drinking? Was there Jack Daniels around at that time? You know, you never know. Was Ardberg? I think Ardberg was, was around. What? Was Ardberg around? Ardberg. Okay, so Yaku, right? Yaku's dad was rescued from the Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska in 1989. Damn. Yeah. So his dad was rescued, and then his dad had Yaku, and Yaku is now the oldest otter in the Chicago Zoo. Okay, according to Christy Sterling, who oversees the penguin and otter areas of the Chicago Shed Aquarium, she said, He's one of our favorites. He's just so easygoing. He's kind of Mr. Reliable. Always pretty even-keeled, and he's just fun to work with. 
So thank you, Yaku, for being cool. Has anyone ever called you even keeled? Even keeled? You were like someone was like, you're such a reliable. Nobody uses that word in, in colloquial speech, right? Even, even keeled. keeled. He's very even keeled. He's a very even keeled person. Would you say he's a very amiable person? You're very amiable. Amiable is like is like I get along well with him. But like Spanish people or like, say he's like he's like he's get, amiable. He's but you never say with. that. You would never say that to on, someone's to face? someone's face. Like you're amiable. But in Spanish they'd be like you're uh, very amable. You know you're very am- that's same root. Oh, they right? would I'm say amiable. someone's face. Yeah. Jack Daniels, Adam. Jack Daniels. What about it? Uh, it. Yeah. Tell nope, me. Nope, that wasn't right. That is not right. That's when it was taken over the ownership of it. Okay, 1956. No, 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 no. My bad. 1875 is when it was founded. So yes, Henry Ford is probably drinking that Jack. Where was it founded? In in Bourbon, Kentucky? No, in, you know this, Lynchburg, Tennessee. Oh, right. So yeah. it's, wait, it's not Bourbon. Do you, know who, do you know who founded Jack Daniels? Jack Daniels. Jack fucking Daniel did. <laughs> Jack fucking Daniel founded it in 1875. Henry Ford was drinking it in 1926 when he made when he made the seven day work week, and now we're drinking it. During the podcast, still got a five day work week though. Hey, can I? We got we got to fix the five day work week or the, the the five days of work and two days off. I know this is not the episode for it, but like it's it kills me. Okay, Adam. Yes. Tide pool wildlife, true or false? Yes. Tide pool wildlife, true or false? So we're gonna talk about some of these critters that are amazing that we love to go see in tide pools. So Noah just talked about how cool tides are. But the thing that we really love is seeing the tide pools because, as I was saying in the beginning, there's an accessible part of marine life. You can see amazing marine life just walking around these rocks in your shoes. And you can see crabs and anemones and otters even, and it's awesome. So if you have not if you ha- have an ocean near you, please go tide pulling. What do you have to say about tide pulling? Tide pulling is fucking raw. Tide pulling is fucking raw. It's dirty. It's fucking It's sick. fucking raw, dirty, and it's I, awesome. I like what you said. It's it's cool because it's like super accessible, like really cool creatures that are crawling Yeah, around. you don't have to have any gear. Just drive to the coast and you can or look at Or just go stuff. to an aquarium. Yeah. It's, it's if you the, can't go to the coast. Exactly. You don't have to wingsuit off anything. There's no wingsuiting involved or, or, you know, paragliding. You're just looking at stuff. Walk around and look at stuff. Anyway, so the many dangers of living in the intertidal zone are, number one is desiccation. What does desiccation mean? What do you what do you think of when you hear that word? Desiccation. I think about that water doesn't come back. Desiccation, yeah. It means drying out. I fucking I'm the best guesser in the world. So if you're a creature and you live in the intertidal zone, you really don't want to dry out because then you'll die. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is physical danger, being pounded by the waves. And number three is low nutrients, not enough food. So the critters we're gonna talk about all have different adaptations. No, what's an adaptation? Uh, like something about them that helps them survive. Something like an animal superpower helps them survive. They all have different adaptations that will help them in these environments. Okay, so let's talk about barnacles first. So Huge barnacles. Penis. Barnacles. I'm, I have a colon for each of these. Barnacles. Colon. Huge penis. They have be, huge penises. Huge penis. Barnacles. Be a parasite. Okay. So we're not going to talk that much about acorn barnacles. When you think of barnacles, you think of the ones with a hard shell that. Have a huge long that feather. That lock penis. themselves to the substrate basically for their whole lives. And have And it. have huge dicks. Right? Yeah. Okay. We're going to talk about a parasitic barnacle called rhizocephala. Because barnacles, believe it or not, at the beginning of their life, in their juvenile stages, they were just a little, basically, they're related to shrimps. They're a little shrimp floating around without a shell. Really? Looking for a substrate to anchor themselves onto. Yes. 
Really? Oh, oh this is before they get anchored. Before they anchor. They're like a little thing. Right. And when you think about it, they can anchor themselves even... They even anchor themselves to whales. They're just... Right. Look, they're looking they for do. a thing to cement themselves onto with their head. What they do is they take their head, they have cement glands of their head, and they literally cement themselves onto the substrate for their whole life. They're... Some, what a choice. some Latin word called... It's sus... Susile? I think it's susile. It means that they are... Stable. They're not stable. What's the word? They stay stationary. there, stationary, their whole life. Once they make a decision, <laughs> they're very decisive. They're, they're very, very decisive. decisive. Once they make a decision on like the whale or rock, they're gonna do their thing on. Yeah. Do can they move on. off of it or no? That's it. Like one, you get one chance. Acorn barnacles. Eight no. mile. Acorn barnacles. No, it's like one shot. Not misses Miss chance, chance to blow. blow. Opportunities once in a lifetime. You better lose yourself in the music, the moment you want it. You Eight mile is an underrated go. movie. Underrated. Um, Bunny Rabbit. In what ways? Yeah, it's, it's it's just good. It's a good movie. It's a great movie. It's really good. Is it's a it? Great it movie. It's, it's it has to be the best rapper movie. You didn't like Get Richard Die Trying? I've never seen it. What other rapper movies are there? Uh, didn't Ja Rule have a movie? Hmm, I don't know. Well, so, so, you better lose yourself in the moment. So just like Detroit, basically these barnacles, right? They're living in kind of a war zone in the intertidal area to right. bring it back. Okay. Anyway, those are acorn barnacles. Let's talk about the thing that needs to be talked about. Okay, much like the tongue eating louse, much respect. We're going to talk about another marine parasite, which I love, Rhizocephala. Okay, and Noah, we're going to make this interactive. So you're going to tell me which one of these facts is false, which one is true, or if they're all true. Okay, do you want to describe what Rhizocephala looks like first, or just go into it? Yes, uh, I will describe it. He said, thinking about what it looks like. Uh, Rhizocephala looks like a, it, it is. It, it's an arthropod. So arthropod is the King Philip. Don't fucking get at me, scientists. It's the phylum that includes insects and also shrimp and also scorpions and also spiders. Like when we talked about camel spiders, they're in the same phylum as the barnacles. Rhizocephala. Okay, cool. Okay, so it it is the most closely related to is a shrimp or a tardigrade. Like we were talking about when I interviewed Julie, we talked about tardigrades, which are water bears that little live in ba- algae. Little microscopic bear. They literally look like tiny bears that live in algae. They're fucking crazy. They're sick. Can you believe that? It's sick shit. Okay. That's what it looks like. Shit's going to get crazy, okay? Hold I'm going to tell you some hold fucking on, crazy on, shit. Hold on. This rhizocephala, whatever. Yeah. How big is it? It is very small. It's a, about as big as a barnacle. Okay. So it's tiny, but it, it looks like a bear. Right. This is just a different type of barnacle. So the, the barnacle with a shell is called acorn barnacle. This rhizocephala is a different type of barnacle. And it's way smaller than that barnacle. No, it's the same size as that barnacle. It's the same size. It's basically the size of... I'm trying to look at something. It's the size of a, a thumbnail. A thumbtack. Thumbnail. Thumbtack. Okay. Yeah, smaller than so that. So why are you, what, what was up with the tardigrade reference then? Is that in the evolutionary tree, in the Linnaeus classification, Okay, they're next to tardigrades and shrimp. I'm just ah, trying to say what, the, what they are related. related to. Okay, cool. They're related to those cool. things. Cool. So, anyway, in summation. Is bar- that, no, it's it's actually really hard to figure out because when you see barnacles, you're just seeing a hard shell with a wind, with a door, like, like close yeah, door. With, yeah. But there's a thousand different species of barnacles. Damn. Yeah, There's that's just that's one shit ton of barnacles. When barnacle. you go to a typo, you just see one species of barnacle. So, they I mean, work, the others, they've but. been working well. Yeah, barnacles have been killing it. For a while. Sticking their heads and things. Sticking their heads. Sticking their penis out. Sticking their dicks out. Okay. 
Tell me what this what is true or false about these facts that are about to come. All right. Okay. Of the small barnacle. Of the rhizocephala. This is a parasitic barnacle that invades lobsters and crabs by extending root-like threads throughout the crab. And all you can see of the organism, the rhizocephala, is its nuts. In fact, the adult has rhizocephala, has no body. It just has gonads. It just has nuts. Wow. So you're saying that the rhizocephala barnacle essentially attaches to a lobster attaches and then like crab. fucking infiltrates it. It attaches to a crab and what it does is it spreads roots as if it was a fungus throughout the crab's body. That and is fucking crazy. What you, the only thing that you see is a giant yellow sac coming out, protruding from the crab's abdomen. And that is the rhizocephala's gonads or reproductive organs. And then, yeah. I All think you see is That's got to be true. It's got to be true. Okay, that is true. That's wild shit. So it atta- so it attaches to a crustacean. Yes, crustacean. It infiltrates it, infiltrates. and then it has its gonad, its wiener out, and it sprays. Yeah, and then it sprays. Exactly. That right. is wild shit. After the roots are established in the host crab, the reproductive organs, what I was just talking about, explode out of the crab's abdomen. And then another rhizocephala, what they will do is they will swim up to the giant yellow sac protruding out of the crab. And they, of course, fertilize it. On the crab's abdomen. Oh, so it's a vagina. No, it is. Is a vagina? It you is. Said it, it, it gets fertilized. It's more of like a structure that grows the larva on the crab, and then another barnacle will come up and fertilize it, and then the young hatch from the crab's All right, abdomen. That's cool. I am a little bit confused because so the another barnacle that is not attached. It's confusing. If you saw a picture, it'd be really hold obvious. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Another barnacle that's not attached comes up right, right. and fertilizes it. Fertilizes it, yeah. Yeah. And somehow, it tricks the crab into thinking that the nuts of the crab are its own young, are the crab's own young. And you know how the crab, so in the front, we have the the clippies, the clippy pincers. Yeah. In the back, they have these flippers. They're, they don't have they don't have clippers on them. They don't have claws. Right, they have the, like, the... Oval, they're like oval for, flat shit. They're for swimming. Oval flat shit, And what yeah. they're also for is caring for young because they're flat and nice, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. And it will care for its barnacles, gonads. It will care for it. It'll clean it. It'll feed it. And then when they're ready to hatch, the crab goes up onto a rock and like thrusts out its, its abdomen. I'm thrusting in my chair as I say this. And it sprinkles the young all over the water. Damn. So there you go. There's the rhizocephala. Goes on, so it go, it goes on a crustacean, infiltrates it, has its gonads out. Another another rhizocephala comes, fertilizes it. Then the crab cares for it as if it was its own. Then it goes up on a rock and sprays yep. it out and sprays it out. Okay, so because they are literally nailed to the su- the substrate on which they live the rest of their lives as adults, barnacles have giant dicks. They have giant, giant penises. It's seven times their body length, which they can invade each other with because they are hermaphroditic normally. So what about that was false and what about that was true? I think their dick is 10 times their body size. You're right. That was the false. That's right, baby. I know my wieners. Their dick I know my wieners. Their wiener is actually eight times the body size. Eight times. Eight times, not seven. Damn. There you go. So what I have to say about the rhizocephala is they're fucking savage. They invade crabs. They make them think that they're their own young. They have their nuts protrude out of the crab's abdomen. And they basically take over the crabs. It's probably a problem for crustaceans in that area. It looks pretty messed up. 
I wonder if you can eat a crab with a rhizocephalus. I'm sure that you are it. eating many crabs with that. I think that I, I how do they figure out that that parasite was related to the acorn barnacle, which has such a different lifestyle? I don't know. Anyway, it's a crazy parasite. So all of these animals that we're going to talk about are Pacific tide pool animals that you could find on the Oregon coast, California coast, just because these are the animals that we were seeing growing up. And I just wanted to do them. That's tight. Okay. So this is the giant green anemone. And oh, yeah. its job, its desire is to be poisonous. What does an anemone look like? An anemone looks like, well, how would you describe it? It looks like a massive sponge. It looks like a huge sponge. And on the top of the sponge is a vagina. Okay. Is a, is a wide vagina. Wide set. Okay. It's a huge green sponge with a wide vagina on the top of it. And it like kind of. I just got it. It right? looks like it looks like the green the target symbol, but with on the outside ring of the target symbol, it has grass. It has like little um, things, flagellum that are moving all around it. It's the target symbol. It's but like they can a, move. It, it's like a pyramid that's that's open at the top that has tentacles coming out. Tough animal to describe because they're so unique. Wait, pyramid open at the top, tough animal t- tentacles coming out. It has green. That's green. Little, little slipperies on yeah. the outside, right? Slipperies. Okay, so the giant green anemone, they're mobile and they can change spots most of their lives. Okay, that's the fact one. Fact two, they're carnivorous. They feed on crabs, mussels, small fish, and they even settle into muscle beds for easy access to sustainable food. They can, and they have been documented, to even eat seagulls. What? Sea anemones. No fucking way yeah. a dead well, one these are the animals that when we were exploring tidepools in the youth and you touch them and they close yeah we touch them and they, they and close up you touch right? them and their tentacles close and the vagina closes yeah they're all open and they're, they close up right yeah okay the pharmaceutical industry uses a compound found in the giant green anemone as a beneficial heart stimulant for humans very cool how does he eat a seagull I have no idea. So if the seagull is feed, so uh, I mean, the seagull comes to the tide pool and it's feeding, right? Mm-hmm. And then the the a tentacle gets it. Yeah. The last fact is that they cover their bodies with shells and gravel to reflect the sunlight and hold in moisture when the tide drops. So yes. which one of those is false? They eat seagulls. No, they they have been documented to eat small birds. That's fucking insane. Which is fucking crazy. I don't know how that would happen. They're they're not that big. Uh, so the size one, of like a, the bottom. Which of one is a, false? That they move on muscle beds for easy access to food. Yeah, they don't move. They're sessile again, meaning they stay put most of their lives. Okay? Go touch a sea anemone. The st- you remember the stickiness when you touch one? So cool. So that They're is, not uh, toxic to human. Like, you don't feel it. Well, that is the animal apparently firing off thousands of venomous harpoons into your skin. But it doesn't hurt us because it was designed to infect or to hurt invertebrates, not us. Wow, so we're like immune to it. We're immune to their harpoons. But when you feel the stickiness... It's harpooning you, trying to kill you and eat you. <laughs> As, uh, hey, giant so, green anemone. Because they're like they're they're open with their tentacles. Then you touch it, it clams, yep. closes. <laughs> Slurp. Uh, last one is the purple sea urchin. Okay, and its job is to be a motherfucker. And this is the fucking little purple thing with the spikes. Purple thing with the spikes. They're all over. Yeah, the place. these things fucking suck. Okay, barnacle be a parasite. Giant green anemone be poisonous, and the purple sea urchin be a motherfucker. Okay. Right. So in between the spikes. The purple sea urchin has tube-like feet all over its body that it uses to pass food inwards towards its really ravenous-looking mouth. It looks like a demon caterpillar. 
It looks like a demon mouth. It just it's like a demon caterpillar that's snacking on snacking on it's like a round demon on, stuff. on its on the bottom of it. On the bottom of it, in between those spines and tube feet is a mouth with five teeth that just snacks on things of the sea urchin. Yeah. Can okay. I, can I, can I, I got a meta. I'm, this is a metaphor pod. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I, I got it. Take a baseball, put it like imagine a baseball is on your desk or whatever imagine, on the desk. Imagine okay, the baseball. On the, on the top of the baseball is, is purple spines sticking out. On the bottom of the baseball that's touching the desk is a, a is a mouth, a round mouth. It looks like a demon mouth. That, and it just once it when it moves across, you, all you see is the purple spikes on top. When it moves across the seafloor, it just slurps shit up. It uh, uses its spines and teeth to dig holes in stones, and oftentimes, so what happens is the spines grow larger than it planned, and it sticks the sea urchin into the stone for life. It can its its pointers, its pokies, can cut through steel and rock. Is what I'm trying to say. Really? Indeed. Well, is that false? That's know. false. If left unchecked, the sea urchins will eat through an entire kelp forest by eating through the stem of the plants, eventually leaving the kelp forest a barren desert. Right. They're like invasive. They're very invasive. They destroy kelp forests. They suck. Yep. Its biggest predators are otters and starfish. Okay. Otters eat so... Have you ever seen an otter? Maybe in the Monterey Bay. Lay on its back. Lay on its back of the kelp urchin. forest. They're eating sea urchins. Which is awesome because sea urchins blow for right. the environment. The, yeah. That's why we need the sea otters. Okay. They turn the sea otters' teeth and bones purple from eating the urchins so much. So what mm-hmm. about those facts? Were true? What purple were teeth. The purple teeth? Yeah. The false fact... That's false. Is the purple teeth. No. It's actually ultra... Really? Yeah. They get purple teeth? Yeah, they have purple teeth. And purple bones, apparently, from eating the sea urchins. Weird. So Isn't that weird? That's crazy. So they really munch so the shit out. If you're out an otter, what you want to do is you want to lay on your back in a kelp forest mm-hmm. and snack on an urchin. See, I think the life of an otter is awesome. But then you think about like when, think about the fear of lying on your back and one day a get huge snack, getting fucking on. shark coming up and just eating you. Do, do sharks eat otters, though? Otters are a little small, right? They eat seals. I think they would and definitely shark, eat an otter. Is there gonna be a, is there gonna be a great white in the subtitle zone? No, not a great white, but some shit eats otter. Some otter eating shit. Okay, as Noah looks that up, we're gonna do one more musical break, and after that, it's gonna be time for the open kimono. Sea otters are eaten by orcas. They're eaten by orcas, great white sharks, and other large predators. However. They are the basically the, they are the keystone predator, which is like they hold the environment together as the predator in the kelp forest. Gotcha. So that's why they're so important for it. They're cute as fuck. Little sea bear. not right it's, it's not just chill. not right it's not chill no yeah this is the open kimono where we freely talk and discuss our final thoughts on the topic that is typos and we leave nothing to the imagination what is your open kimono today ladies and gentlemen invisible forces was our theme okay there are the amount of water of all the rivers in the world is moving in and out of a bay every six hours 
So that's how much our, our just our, you can think about, that's how much our waterways is move around, move nutrients around, move everything around. Um, the, parasitic, the parasitic barnacle that you spoke about that infects crustaceans, that's crazy shit. Sea otters are really cute. And the, the five days of working, two days off is absolute bullshit. This is an episode about tides, tide pools, and the work week. Listen. Sea urchins need some time off too. Sea urchins need the weekend off to stop feasting with their ravenous mouths on kelp. Do you think that a sea otter would work would be, would have to work all five days and then only have two days off? Go to a tide pool if you haven't. If you haven't done tide pooling and you live near a coast, it's worth it. Just look up where the best places are. You will be happily surprised about how cool of a nature experience it is. It's great for kids too because they can just run around, hopefully not trip on the rocks and look at stuff. And not eat a sea urchin. There you go. Okay. Shout out to Sarah and her boyfriends. I hope that they love tide pulling as much as we do. Shout out to the tongue-eating louse and the rhizocephalus. Noah, where can they find us? Guys, you can find us at our Instagram, at dude underscore nature. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. We really appreciate it. We love you. We love you very much, and we'll see you next time. See you soon.